All right, real life, how are you doing? Good. We are feeling wide awake this morning? Yeah? No? Compensating with extra coffee? Now, who were the smart ones and you actually went to bed early last night? Anyone? Few of you. Good job. Good job. I hate you. Uh, honestly, going to church is part of my job, and I kind of have to be here. And so whenever this day comes, I always wake up freaking out that I'm going to sleep in. Like, always. And so, like, I'll wake up at 3.30, 4.30, and it just, it, you know, you're getting, eh, it, it just, it's awful. Feel bad for me. Feel bad for me. Hey, before we get into our sermon today, I wanted to thank all of you. Uh, there have been so many of you that have given of your, uh, of your, uh, your jobs, your services, your goods. You've created something. You've given something to us to sell at our next-gen camp auction, and I just want to thank you for that so much. Uh, today is the day to turn in your stuff, and if you maybe you forgot, maybe you're just now hearing about it, you can still turn that in. Uh, just make sure you connect with us as you leave. Rachel Ample will be up kind of at that um, little classroom that's up there as you leave. Uh, and like I said, I just want to thank you for that. Every little bit helps a child get to camp this summer where they can maybe for the first time experience who Jesus really is. So I just want to thank you for that. We are on our second week of Genesis. Last week, Marty preached on the first chapter of Genesis. Today, we're going to preach on three chapters of Genesis. So... If Marty went 45 minutes last week, I hope you brought a lunch. Now, we're, we're going to be flying today, uh, and we're going to have to skip some stuff, uh, and we're not, we're not trying to avoid things. We're just trying to, what we're trying to do today is look at an overarching theme of what God's attempting to communicate to us. So last week, we ended looking at day six when God created animals and claimed that it was good, and then he created mankind, and after he created mankind, God steps back and says, it is very good. Tov meod. I like to use the word for very, I think, violently good. Like it was flipping awesome. Like he, he had to take, he had to stop because like mic drop, that, that was cool. So when he creates us, that's what he does. And then on day seven, he, he rests, and day seven doesn't end. And the writer of Hebrews will pick up on this theme, saying that we are invited into his rest today. We don't have to produce all the time. We can stop. We don't always have to work and scavenge and try to prove who we are and improve and fix. No, we can rest and trust in the goodness of God's creation. There were all these themes that we saw in chapter one, these cadences, these patterns and rhythms that show up over and over again. One of these patterns was the declaration of it is good over and over and over again. And that's going to be important for today. We're going to jump into chapter two. We're going to skip the story about the garden that God creates, Eden, where he, and also the story about how he forms man out of the dust and breathes his life into him. We're going to skip that. We're also going to skip the first mention of the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And we're going to pick up in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Hold on to that. You will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good. Time out. 
Like there's been this pattern, intentional pattern over and over again of it is good. And then it ends with it is very good. And so when we read something is not good, we need to ask, what is that? And what is not good is for the man to be alone. Now, before we go on, think about this. When God sneezed and created all the galaxies, when God hiccuped and created all the millions of species of birds and animals and sea creatures, do you think when he made man and formed him from the dust of the earth, do you think he made a mistake and forgot to create woman? No, it's the answer, no. He didn't. He purposely, he purposely didn't do it. Because if he did it, we might have missed a lesson that we cannot miss. And this is the lesson that we cannot be alone. This is bigger than male-female marriage relationship. Yes, it's about that, but it's more than that. Humanity is built and expands from relationships. We need others. This is where life comes from. Literally. And so God says, I will make a helper. I do not like this word. I think it would be better translated partner. Uh, a uh, etzer connector. It says a helper who opposes, like an A-frame. Uh, it's a co-equal, not identical, but co-equal. I will make a helper suitable for him. So we would assume the next story that what God would do next is create a helper. We would assume that would be the next story, but it's not. Instead, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Which, that would be such a tedious job. Like at the beginning, I'm sure Adam was like feeling creative. Like, I declare you giraffe. But by the end, he's like, fly. Like... Uh, dog, like he's running, yeah, such a tedious job. But one after another, animal after animal after animal, Adam keeps naming him. And, Adam, and animal after animal after animal, he sees two of a kind. And after every animal has marched by, so the man gave, uh, we'll go back, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, after all this thing is done, no suitable partner was found. This is the lesson. You are not an animal. In the animal kingdom, there is not one fit to be your equal. In the animal world, there is not one that is like you. This is the lesson that we learned back in uh, day six. God creates animals, and then he creates humans. We are distinct from animals. Now, this will be important here in a bit. But this is one of the first lessons we see in chapter two. You're not an animal. You're not. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Now in Genesis, imagery is important. It's not like th this, is a, this is a lesson he's teaching you. It's not like God ran out of stuff to make Eve from. And he says, sorry, bud, I got to take your rib. Uh, no. In this culture, women and all the other creation myths that they may have been familiar with, women were often created out of different stuff. And often they were created for two reasons. One, they were created to make more men. Or two, they were created to serve men. The imagery here is distinct. 
they are of the same substance. And, and this is a lesson we see back in Genesis 1. Male and female, he created them in his image. They're both in the image of God. They're both of the same stuff. So, at, so God takes the rib and then closed up the place with flesh. I always want to know what the other substance was that God was choosing for. Like I could use flesh or wood. I'm not sure. Uh, it would be cool though. Like, no? All right. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and had take, that he had taken out of man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both of them are one. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Uh, this is the end of chapter two. Uh, go back to that last slide, please. This is the end of chapter two. Now, if you took sin out of the entire Bible you'd be left with four chapters, a pamphlet. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Genesis 2.25 is the last verse. This verse sets up the context of everything that happens once sin enters the world. This tells us what it used to be like and what it's always meant to be, to be naked and not ashamed to be exposed and to be okay with it, to know that I'm good, to be in, in such a relationship with others that I could trust, that I could trust you to be naked. Now, we're not asking you to take off your clothes. Please don't. But you get, you get the imagery, right? To be naked, completely exposed and vulnerable, and it's okay. So then we go into chapter three. And I know, I know a lot of us have grown up in church and we already had this preconceived idea of what chapter three teaches. For now, pretend like you've never heard this before. Because I think you might learn something different. Number one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Let's talk about crafty. Actually, let's talk about the word naked. Naked in the Hebrew is this word, arom. This is the word that we read in 2.25. Now, there's, nakedness is going to show up in chapter 3 all over the place. Uh, and it sounds, sounds very close to the same, eterome. Very similar word. And this, these two words are going to show up all over. What's weird is the word crafty is this word, arum. It's actually the same word, same root. There's other words for sly or deceptive or shrewd. There's other words the Hebrew could have used. But it purposely uses this word describing the snake. So we go from 2.25 of being naked and unashamed, and then we go to Genesis 3.1, and there is an animal that's more naked than anything else. This should tie us back to the lesson we just learned. We're not animals. So let's go back to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more naked than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? In the Hebrew, it's more of a statement. And it's a statement that doesn't end. He kind of leaves it hanging. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. That's interesting because it's the tree of life that's in the middle of the garden, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you must not touch it. God didn't say that. Or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Hold on to that. And you will be like God. Hold on to that. Knowing good and evil. Hold on to that. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. John will pick up on this idea and he will say the, the, uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the bustle pride of life. And he categorizes all temptations in these three. And I think he's, I think he's dead on. I think Genesis is dead on. We desire things to fill us, things that are good for food. We desire pretty things, things, things that are pretty to look at. Because if we have them, people will see us. It could be the next iPhone. It could be a, a truck, the clothing that we wear. It could be some type of post, something that people see. And we also desire things that will make us wise, things that will make us better than others. Our strength, our intellect, our humor, our capabilities, whatever that might be. These are the, these are the temptations that exist for us. Now, on, on two levels, on a grander level, there's two things going on. On the first level, it relates to the lesson we already learned. The serpent is trying to tempt Eve into acting like an animal. Just do what feels right. Just do what you want. Do what you desire. Just take. Just have. Follow your gut. Be, do your instincts. Be an animal. On another level, the serpent is enticing Eve by saying, God has withheld something from you. You are not good enough. There is something else that you need that could make you better. There is something else that you should have, that you deserve. And without it, you're lacking. And this is the ultimate temptation of chapter three. There is something that you need, and without it, you're not good enough. And so Eve, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, which, hold on. So Adam's there. He's uh, eating his papaya and drinking his coconut milk. While his wife talks to a snake, And then he eats it. Then, and then, after they both eat, not after she eats, but when they both eat, because we're relational beings, when they both eat, their eyes were opened. The snake was telling the truth. Later, we won't cover this, but later God will say that, they be, that Adam and Eve became like God, knowing good from evil. See, truth is good, but even in the wrong context, truth can be used as a lie. After they both eat, their eyes were opened. Now, were they blind beforehand? No. They could see. 
What this means, though, is that the way they look at the world has dramatically shifted. And what did they see? They realized they were naked. Now, did they not know they were naked? They had to have. I mean, come on. But the way they see they're naked has changed. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So the first thing that we see when we buy into this other truth, this other lie that we aren't good enough, that we're just animals, the first thing that we do is we look at the world differently, we realize our own nakedness, we cover. Next slide. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, we cover, and we hide. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God knew, but something has changed. They are no longer in the same position that they used to be. Did God move them? No, they moved themselves. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. And stop, don't look at the slide right here. You've never heard this before. Why is he afraid? Why, why would you assume he's afraid? He did something he wasn't supposed to? And he's going to die. He, he broke God's command, and God said, when you eat of that tree, you will certainly die. That's what he should be afraid of. Is that what he's afraid of? No. I was afraid because I was naked. That's what he was afraid of. Not of the punishment, not of death, but because of his own nakedness. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? What voice are you listening to? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman... Like, come on, dude. You were sitting there eating your papaya and drinking your coconut milk. You're just as guilty. But this is what we do. We, we, we cover, we hide, and if that doesn't work, we blame. I blame. We will find ways to justify, to explain, and usually it's at the detriment to others. We will find someone else whose fault it is. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Honeymoon is over. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Hold on to that question. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, oh, sorry, next slide. Oh, that's the end. Um, we're going to stop here. We're not going to get into the curse. I would encourage you to read the curses on your own time. Notice what it says and what it doesn't say. But in the middle, when God's talking to woman, it's the shortest thing in it. In the middle, other than the whole childbirth thing, God says that her desire will be for her husband. And there's some debate about how to translate that. It could be your, your desire will be for your husband or your desire will be contrary to your husband. And then God says, and he will rule over you. And we often, we often jump into this thinking that this is a male woman thing. I don't think it is. Because we see all the themes in chapter three, we see them transfer into chapter four. The same questions God asked Adam and Eve, God will ask in chapter four. 
the same results of being covered will happen in chapter four. The same result of being expelled east will happen in chapter four. Now, we like to assume that chapter three is about sin and death entering the world, but did sin show up in chapter three? The word doesn't. Sin is nowhere mentioned in chapter three. Did death happen in chapter three? It didn't. It happens in chapter four, sin and death. Chapter three, while yes, sin and death are implied and are a result of it, chapter three is not about that. Chapter three is about our nakedness and our shame. The shame we don't need to have. And we all, you all, I deal with shame. And some of us are more aware of it than others. You might be the strong one, the successful one, the one that everyone looks up to. You deal with shame. You always have to be better than others. You're quick to let others know that they're not as good as they think they are. You're always trying to prove yourself. You're always worried that you're gonna fail. You're always worried that you're not successful enough, that you're not smart enough. You have to be the smartest person in the room, the prettiest person in the room, strongest person in the room. You deal with shame. And if you think you don't, go get a counselor and they will wreck you. And you will cover, you will hide, and you will blame, and you'll get angry. Uh, Brene Brown wrote this book, Daring Greatly, and if you haven't read it, you need to. And it wrecked my world and is still wrecking my world. But she says this, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. This is what chapter three is about. And I'm convinced at the root of the human condition, this is what is our problem that we believe we are not worthy of love and belonging, that we're not good enough. And now chapter four is gonna be about the result of this. So let's jump into chapter four. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. This is telling you what's different about Abel's offering. Not that, it was a, not that it's an animal, but that it's the fat portions of the firstborn. While Cain just brought some of the fruit. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. That's it. There was no scorning, no like, just no. Yeah. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Uh, this is my six-year-old. Uh, always, like you're trying to talk with him and he's not looking at you. And he's always angry and things aren't fair and... Um, it reminds me of a six-year-old. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? You don't need to be. There is no reason for it. Why is your face downcast? Look, look at me. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. This is the first time sin shows up in scripture. Sin is crouching at your door. Notice what it says. It desires to have you. Same wording given to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband. Sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And this is what sin does. It makes me want what you have, and I want to rule over you. But instead, we should rule over our sin, our desires, our inadequacies, and our shame. We don't have to do that. We do not have to be animals. Ultimately, sin is a degradation of humanity. It is us becoming less than what we were created to be. Sin is a violation of relationships, our relationship between God, our relationship between others, and our relationship with creation. It is not necessarily a criminal act, but rather the thing between things. When things are out of kilter, sin is a result of shame where we try to be good enough, where we try to be worthy enough, and we will take it if we have to from each other. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. If you have a sibling and they ever tell you this, just say, no, thank you. I'm good. Uh, Something's come up. Uh, No. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. This is death. This is what the death of chapter three looks like when we kill each other. Now, hopefully you haven't killed anyone yet. Uh, Hopefully you're not planning to. But we attack each other all the time with our words, our actions. It's almost a cancer that we subvert each other. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Same question he asked to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Something has changed. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Notice God's response to his question. There is no answer to it. And I think it's because the answer to Cain's question is yes. You are your brother's keeper. I created you not to be alone. You need others. So why would you not keep your brother what, is, what have you done? Same question God asked Eve. But this time to a man. What have you done? Listen, your, bro- your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse. Just like in chapter three, we see a curse. And actually it builds on top of that. And driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain is driven east, just like in Adam and Eve. In the same way God covered Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skins, here God covers Cain with a mark to protect him. Chapter four is the outworking of chapter three, which starts with us believing that we are not good enough, as God declared in chapter one. This is what the Genesis narrative introduces about mankind. This is our problem. 
that we don't believe we're good enough, and so we have to try to prove it. We have to try to get something else. We have to, we have to do something. And this is where, what sin is. This is what it is. And so we attack each other. We take from each other. We cover. We hide. We blame. And it would make sense then that the result of the redemption of the gospel of Jesus would be the undoing of all of this. Go read 1 John 1 where he says the message he heard from the beginning is this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And that if we have fellowship with one another, if if we walk with him as he is in light, then we have fellowship with one another. And if we confess our sins, not necessarily to God, but to each other, then God is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the result of the work of Jesus. So as we work towards communion now, we're going to have our service kind of get up and head back. I I want you to know that if you're new with us, you are welcome to have communion with us. We have an open table, which means as long as you want to celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, you are welcome. You are family. Uh, If you would hold on to the elements until the end, that way we can work through some implications, and that way we can also, as one family, take this together. So implication number one from this, sin does not change God's position or posture toward us, but it sure seems to change ours toward him. If you've been in church for any length of time, you may have heard this teaching or this saying that God can't be in the presence of sin. It's a lie. God can. That is not a limitation on God. The problem is, is that God is light and we are terrified of being seen. When light shows up, darkness flees. And that's terrifying for us. Listen, God's posture and position towards you hasn't changed. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to worry about how he's going to react. You can come home. And instead of a judgmental parent who's going to scorn you, there's going to be a loving father who runs to meet you and embraces you and kisses you and then throws a party. And there's no lecture. Implication number two. We don't believe we are enough. When we don't believe we are enough, we will take it from other places. And often other people. And really no relationship is safe from this. Marriage, children, parents, work, church. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but church sometimes can be the most unhealthy place for this. We will take it from others. Implication number three. Our call is to listen to the right voice, a voice that speaks truth. And there's plenty of other voices out there. And, And really, we're really good at being the other voice. We're really good about reinforcing the not goodness of people. We're really good about shame and guilt You can't turn on a TV without some advertisement telling you that you're not good enough unless you have this, unless you do this, or unless you go to this school. Our culture is built upon the back of the lie that you're not good enough, as well as the lie that you're an animal. You're just an animal. A victim of your circumstances and DNA and upbringing, and they just 
Last implication. Stop hiding. Stop it. And I know it's terrifying. Stop. Accept your faults. You may have made some pretty big mistakes and done some awful things and hurt a lot of people, but until you are willing to look at what you've done and say it's okay, not, not excuse it, not justify it, not swip, swipe it underneath the rug, but unless you're willing to look at it and say it's okay, until then you will not come into the light and you will keep hurting yourself and others. Stop hiding Accept your faults and be content with who you are and who you are not. You don't need to be someone else. You don't need to be as good as someone else. As pretty, as capable, as smart, as strong, as successful, as wealthy, you don't need to be someone else. Be you. Take the risk of being completely seen, naked, and exposed, trusting that God has you because he does. And I know it's terrifying and I know it's a risk, especially for those strong people. I know it's a risk. And you're already telling yourself a different voice in your head to run, to flee, to blame, to cover, to hide. Stop it. Be seen. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you come into the light, it will be a shock. It'll be terrifying. And every ounce of you will want to flee back into the darkness. John chapter 3. God loves you. Stop it. And we come to the table every week to remind us that the goodness of that creation, the goodness the Tov Mayod of you, is still there. I, I don't know if you've ever done math, but if you ever divided infinity by anything else, it's always infinity. In the price guide, God paid for you was of infinite worth, which means you are of infinite value. You are tov meod. And every week we remember a God who loves and believes in us and declares over us very good. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, take and eat. Let's remember him. Then he took the cup, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Let's remember. Father, I want to thank you that you are a good, loving God. By no means are you safe, but you're good, and we can trust you. We can come into the light. We can be seen by you, and you have nothing but good for intentions for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to take a risk and be in, to, to be seen, to be naked, and to know that other people are broken as well, that they may not be able to handle it, and that's okay, but to find someone that we could take that risk with. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com. Also, if you'd like to dive deeper into this week's conversation, make sure to check out the accompanying footnotes podcast available in this feed.